The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. Good morning, everyone. And at this hour, for the first time, apartment buyers, a 30-year fixed-rate mortgage is often the best loan option. The lengthier term means, however, lower monthly payments, leaving homeowners with more room in their budgets for other expenses. However, taking out a 30-year loan requires you to pay more in the long run due to the accumulation of interest, while a 15-year mortgage means paying significantly less overall. So how do you decide on which loan is best for you? We will talk about it with an expert here today from Citizens Bank, Roland Schneider. Also at this hour, most people buy and sell a home just a few times during their lives. So even if you consider yourself a good negotiator, chances are that you're a bit rusty when it comes to buying or selling a co-op or a condo. So with the full market ahead of us, we will give you a few tips. Plus, the panel is here for Hot Topics. But first, I'd like to welcome my listeners in the United States and around the world. I'm Vince Rocco, and this is Good Morning New York Real Estate. Each week, we bring you all the news that is relevant to your real estate success, regardless of what part of the process you belong to. You can always email me here at the show or at vrocco at halstead.com. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. All right, Roland Schneider, he's a loan officer at Citizens Bank, and you can count on Roland to listen to your needs before recommending mortgage solutions for your home purchase or refinance. He takes great pride in assisting his clients and helping them navigate through the loan process with over 13 years in the home lending business and a long-term resident of New York metro area. He has a thorough understanding of the intricacies of this market and is well known in real estate in the real estate community. Roland has been repeatedly ranked in the mortgage industry publications as a top mortgage originator in America, recognized for closing over $1 billion in home loans throughout his career. In 2015, he was ranked by Citizens Bank as the number one loan originator in dollar volume within the metro New York area. Also here with us today, as I said, Louise Phillips Forbes from Halstead Real Estate, Raymond Lord from Douglas Elliman, Noah Kaplan, Nest Seekers International, Sean McPeak Compass, and Niall Lundgren from Compass. Wow, full house today. Good God. Yes, Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. All right, Roland, let me start with you. So for the first time apartment buyer, a 30-year fixed rate mortgage, as I said at the top of the show, it's often the best loan option. The lengthier term means lower monthly payments, leaving new homeowners with more room in their budgets for other expenses. However, taking out a 30-year loan requires you to pay more in the long run due to accumulation of interest while a 15-year mortgage, in some cases, uh, you pay significantly less. So how does a buyer, first time or not, decide on what loan or what type of loan is best for them? 15-year, 30-year, we'll get to the uh, the adjustable rates in a minute. Sure. So first of all, thank you for having me on today. Um, pretty excited. Um, so let me answer your question like this. Um, everybody obviously has uh, a different amount that they can afford. And I think that when buying a home, 
I don't know if people should really concentrate on 15, 30, or even a 20-year. I think more importantly, um, I think we have to decide on uh, what we can afford, right? And I think the most important factor here is getting into the house, right? And so you're right. If you hold the loan long-term for a 30-year, you are going to pay more over, um, over time. But that being said, um, if you can get into the house, hopefully the value of the home appreciates enough where it outweighs what you've paid in interest. The other thing you have to remember is in America now, there are no prepayment penalties. And so you can actually pay down your loan as fast as you'd like. If you come into uh, some sort of money, whether winning the lottery or uh, upgrading in your job and you make more income, you can always pay that down that loan quicker. How many people are actually taking a 15-year loan? Very few. Very few. I have one. Really? And I also, just to add to what you're saying, is I always advise my clients to try to put in their budget to pay a 13th month uh, mortgage payment so that they're buying down 100% of equity as opposed to interest. That's that's a very good point. Uh, what happens is, uh, just to elaborate on that, if you make one extra payment a year, you actually end up paying, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, 23 and a half years on your loan versus the full 30 year. By just one extra payment. By one extra payment a year. That's right. Very interesting. All right. Let's talk about the uh, very <clears throat> popular uh, adjustable rate mortgages. I mean, I'm hearing seven year, five year, 10 year with really, really, really low rates. How How is that uh, working out these days, and why are people taking adjustable rates versus, you know, a a, con- a fixed conventional loan? Yeah, you know, I'm glad we're moving into this topic. Um, I personally have owned numerous homes, a first, but I've never taken out a 30-year mortgage, and I normally recommend to my clients that they take out not the 30-year mortgage, but the arm. So let me explain just real brief to our listeners what that means. Yeah, an arm is actually a 30-year loan. It is amortized meaning you pay the loan back over 30 years. The difference between a 30-year fixed and an arm is very simply that the interest rate is locked for only five, seven, or 10 years. Those are the popular arm products. So why would someone want that? Um, well, the interest rates are lower on on the arm products versus the 30-year. And if you think about it from the bank's perspective first, the reason they're cheaper is because the bank is only guaranteeing you that rate for five, seven, or 10 years. And the shorter time frame, the less the interest rate. The spread between a 30-year fixed and say a five-year arm is about a full percentage point. And so why would I recommend that, right? It, it doesn't sound like a safe product. And if you go back to you know, the 2008 meltdown, everyone was saying the arms are what, you know, what uh, were a part, of the, part of the big reason why we had the meltdown. Well, the arms that existed in 2008, they don't even exist anymore. They're illegal. Right? Those were what's called the 228. They were fixed for two years, and after the two-year period was up, they could go up as much was that as the, the balloon, bank wanted. Was that the balloon mortgage where you know, after a certain period of time, you, you were then responsible for paying the entire amount back, or you could refinance? Is that the old days? You could refinance. They didn't necessarily – they weren't necessarily balloon mortgages. Balloon just means that you have to pay the entire principal back right. at the end. Uh, but what they, what they were were predatory lending uh, is what they were. And that meant that after the two-year period, it was sort of like a teaser rate. And after the two-year period, it would go up. It would skyrocket. And that really put people out of their homes. Those loans, they don't exist today. So let's just take the seven-year arm because I think that's one of the safer options. If you take a seven-year arm today, that rate is about three-quarters of a point cheaper than the 30-year fixed. After the seven-year term is over, that rate can only go up in most cases 2% a year 
for a maximum of 5% above the rate that it started at. So again, why would I recommend the seven-year? Because statistics say, that's I, I don't know exactly, I think it's about 80% of mortgages in this country are paid off within the first seven years. So that doesn't mean that you need to sell the property, which most people do. It just means that you're going to refinance that mortgage. How about people thinking that at the seven-year itch, I need to move on, I want to sell, I want to upgrade, I want to downgrade, I want to move away, I might get transferred. So, you know, the it's uh, the, the period of time people stay in apartments typically in this town is five to seven years, Agreed. maybe a little more. Agreed. Yeah, so, but I, I think ahead. that one of the things that I think that people feel concerned about is uh, one of the things is that the bank regulations have shifted the debt ratio of what they were tolerating. And so when they were in this predatorial lending mode, um, they really were no income verification. They were allowing, you know, no no money down. I mean, all these individuals lost their homes because they really weren't good candidates for the loan anyway. Um, but my concern in today's environment, because we are definitely looking at an interest rate climbing environment, so the bigger my clients purchase um, and the more time they get, I am I don't necessarily recommend um, a thirty a thirty year fixed, but a ten year fixed as opposed to a five or a seven. Because when you're refinancing, we're going to be refinancing with higher interest rates. You're probably if you look at history, you're probably right. And uh, the smart money says that rates are going up. However, I'm going to pose a question to you. Let's look at Japan, for instance. Japan has had um, steady interest rates for about 16 or 17 years now. Um, personally, I don't see a reason for interest rates to be going much higher. Um, and the reason I say that is because uh, interest rates are based on the 10-year treasury bonds, right? And so 10-year treasury bonds are what the U.S. puts out money at and borrows money at, right? Uh, if those interest rates go up, considering that we have, what is it, $21 trillion in debt nowadays? Yes. Uh, I think that those interest rates are going to be kept lower by the government continuously buying well, bonds I mean, to keep be, them right lower. Sure, but, but, but real estate's always been a hedge for inflation. True. And um, I think that, I don't know, I, I came in the business for 13%. I can and see what you're it saying. It cost me $1,300 to borrow $100. Right. Yeah, I can see what you're saying, but I think the differential. Let's say you have a seven-year loan, and you you're the difference of ten, right? If he's saying you can only go up a max of two, math would say even if it went up two, um, <laughs> even if it went up two percent, those three years of difference is still cheaper than the, the fixed rate. I guess so, and I'm also we're all pretty spoiled with you know basically low rates. Low rates are free money. Um, yeah. For it, many it, it, of it's the completely thought process yeah. of my investors. Yeah, so, I think I think my argument is just simple. Simply that because the majority of people don't keep the homes for that long, agreed. Uh, and we're not going to keep that mortgage for thirty years. I personally would rather keep the spread between the thirty-year fixed and say even the ten-year arm. And I have ten-year arms. I don't take five because that's too short. I agree with you. Uh, but even on the ten-year arm, I would rather keep that spread in my pocket versus giving it to the bank knowing that I'm not going to be in the home for that long. Well, I mean, I own four homes and um, I have, I'm in the process of refinancing and doing an interest only loan because I'm commission only. And so when I get a hundred thousand dollar commission, I'm going to be disciplined to buy down my, my uh, uh, principal. 
So I'm only paying. And some boards in co-ops do not like this because people, human nature is I want to keep that money in the bank or I want to, I don't, you know, I want to keep using somebody else's money for this low interest. Sure. But um, that is something that we that I think is a topic to discuss uh, about the philosophy of a board around that. And secondly, who is taking these interest-only loans? You know, one other topic I think that, you know, we started off by, by saying, if I'm not mistaken, correct me, is that we were talking about first-time homebuyers. Right. And what's very interesting is that first-time homebuyers generally that call me always ask for the 30-year fixed. Well, it's a and comfort zone, I think. Comfort for that. Zone. It's, it's a, a total comfort zone. zone. I remember my first couple of mortgages, I wouldn't even entertain uh, adjustable rate or uh, 15 year at the time. I was only like, and you know, my dad instilled this in me, my mom instilled this in me, a 30 year loan, this is what it is, get the best interest rate, but it must and be a 30 year loan. And that's because your dad and mom probably kept that loan for 30 years. Yes, and, no and, doubt. And I have today, I mean, I looked at that trend, it's, I think about the house I grew up as a child, and my parents had that for. 20 years right. and the amount of business that I'm doing with my clients. I have one person that is a single woman. I've done nine transactions with her. Right. And, you know, so she doesn't even, at this point, her money is working for herself. So she usually does cash deals and takes out a line of credit. All right. Yeah. We have to leave it there. We'll be back. We are live from Blast Off Productions here in New York City. This is Good Morning New York. More with Roland and mortgages right after these messages. Don't go away. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their products. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back with Louise Phillips-Forbes from Halstead Real Estate, Raymond Lord from Douglas Elliman, Noah Kaplan, Nestic Seekers International, Sean McPeak, 
Compass and Niall Lundgren Compass and Roland Schneider from Citizens Bank. And we're going to continue our talk on mortgages for a little bit more. Roland, assuming you don't have hundreds of thousands of dollars in cash or more stashed away for a rainy day, you're probably going to need a mortgage from the bank to finance your purchase, as we've been talking about. In that case, it's important to know and avoid certain roadblocks that can get between you and the borrowed money you need to become a homeowner. So, for example, you may able you may be qualified to get a loan, but for some reason it's not going to work. For example, if there is a problem with the building, how does that affect your candidacy for getting a financed mortgage? So... Um, let me start off by saying this way. I, I, lo- I always love giving this example. Um, you got to look at mortgages as the four legs to a table, right? And the table cannot stand without four legs. And so those four legs include credit, income, assets, and collateral. Collateral being the, the question that you're asking, which is the building. Um, you cannot have any of those aspects not be in pristine order in order to get that loan. And that goes back to what Luis was saying before, um, was, uh, you know, people nowadays, um, well, just to get back on topic with the, with the building. So um, if the building doesn't qualify for a uh, Fannie Mae loan, and it's a really complicated topic, so let's not get into the details of it, but there are rules around what Fannie Mae created to make sure that the building is in good standing. So for an example, if you have too many investors in the building, that's a red flag. If the building doesn't have enough in the reserve uh, budget, that's a red flag. And so it's really important when you're going to find a home and you're making your offers that you do get the building vetted by the bank to make sure we could lend there. As the real estate agent, I'm going to play devil's advocate here because sometimes it gets a little frustrating or a little annoying. So I sit back and I say, as the real estate agent, or even as a buyer, this building has been standing for 50 years, 60 years, 20 years, whatever. It isn't going anywhere. So you know, why can't I get a loan in this building? I get the, 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 you know, the issues with, you know, reserve funds and, and, and too many renters, but people have to buy this apartment. People have to buy in this building. And I, and I think, you know, it would be easier if the banks would be a little more flexible and maybe it is the Fannie Mae guidelines, et cetera. But I, I, I just say, why not? You know, why is it so difficult? Let me give you an example that's close to home for me. My parents bought a condo who are retired, by the way, uh, bought a condo in Florida, all right, in North Miami Beach. And about six or seven years after they bought there, so this is happening now for the past four years, the building had to get all of the balconies replaced. Yeah. I, and so there wasn't enough money in the reserve fund. And the reason why the bank is so careful on that, and for instance, we won't lend in my parents' building at this point, is because the unit owners are the ones that have to come up with the money to fix all to fix these balconies, which is millions of dollars, yeah. right? And so if the unit owner, if I qualify that unit owner based on their income today and based on their assets today, and then we find out that the building has, you know, if they have to come up with $100,000 for argument's sake, they can't afford it, they could default on their mortgage. Let's talk about credit. So your credit line, your credit doesn't cut it for, for the bank. What, what do you do then? I mean, everybody thinks, you know, I've got the down payment money, I've identified the property, I want to go and buy this apartment, bang, the mortgage broker comes back and says, but your credit is not good. And those mortgage, there are credit repair companies, which that's all they do, but I have to tell you, that is a money-sucking, time-sucking process. Time-sucking Let me give you guys just a few tidbits that you can do for free. How's that? Uh, if your credit is really bad and you haven't paid your bills on time, you're going to have to hire a credit agency. But there are a few things that you can do <laughs> to raise your credit score 
uh, quickly and painlessly. Number one, your uh, credit limits. So, for instance, if you have a credit card with a $10,000 limit on it, uh, that lim- what you should use on that credit card is about $1,500, right? And remember that when we run a credit report, we're really just taking a snapshot from the day that we run your credit report. I could run that report a week later and get a completely different score, which people don't realize. They're not stagnant. They change on a daily basis. But, but there is an uh, interpret uh, uh, perception that if you have multiple credit reports pulled, that it affects your credit. It dings your credit, yeah. yeah. And let me, let me make... Let is me, that correct? That is incorrect. Um, and lots of people, uh, you know, I get the phone call, hey, I want to get pre-approved for a loan, but, but I, don't, I don't want to run my credit. I get that sense. all the time. Well, yeah. that's probably because so I advise in that. Let me, let, let, me, let me clear <laughs> this up. I do too. That's a, that was always my understanding. And so forth, right? Yeah, let me, let me yeah. clear this up for you guys. Uh, when searching for a mortgage, you can run your credit report as many times as you would like within uh. a 30-day period by mortgage banks. It does go on your credit report that we've ran the credit. It does not, however, affect the actual score. Uh, and so when shopping for a loan, now that's different if you're shopping for credit cards because you can get multiple credit cards, but you don't get multiple mortgages. So like the free pass is with a mortgage, not necessarily with credit cards or other inquiries. That's right. Correct. That, that's news to me. I did not know that. All right, let's talk about the apartment appraisal comes in and it's lower than the selling price. What happens? Uh, That's a very important one. You know, that is a, uh, a difficult question to answer because it really depends on the type of contract that you signed, right? So if you sign the contract that is contingent mm-hmm. on the appraisal coming in, which you're rarely going to get in the city nowadays, as I'm sure you guys Correct. know very well. But if you have a contingency in that contract, then you can back out. If you do not have a contingency, then you have to close. And if the bank can only give you, I don't know, let's say 80% of the purchase price, we are only going to lend on either the purchase price, the lower of the purchase price, or the appraised value. And so you as the consumer are going to have to come up with a difference. Well, part of getting around that, if everyone wants a financial contingency, is to structure uh, a deal. And I do this all the time with my sponsor projects and developments where my sponsor will allow somebody to have a financial contingency, but only with 25% down. That's right. So we don't have a problem if they want to go for an 80% loan, but if the bank mandates, we have language that they have to put an additional 5% down. And that is something that is helpful. And we also mandate that they go through our vetted bank because we've already, they've done the due diligence on the developer, which is they own 8,000 apartments, they have no debt, and they only are 48% sold in a building. Sure. But they know historically that that, you know, converted 30 buildings, that they're going to be healthy because of their right. history. Yeah, I'll tell you this. I've, I've gone as far as 30% down um, as a contingency on like a 70% loan. Um, you know, also you challenge the appraisal if, you know, they've come in low as the market's been changing in the last few years. I've had, you know, I had three low appraisals and I attend every single appraisal myself to make sure it doesn't happen. But sometimes, and um, did you get it reversed? Yeah. Yeah. Every single deal closed. Um, one instance just to avoid getting a second appraisal and the, and pushing the deal out further, the, you know, they just came up with a down payment, but usually I, you know, I kind of plan for that. I assume that the appraiser may not be completely versed in that part of the market. Well, I, think I think, I think that the bank guidelines, you know, you know, initially after the Great Recession, we had appraisers coming in from, you know, 
Woodstock. Unbelievable right. period and of time. Unbelievable. Yeah. I think I'll tell that's you, sort of horrendous. survival of the fittest. Yeah. Is, is, I'll tell you guys why I that is. All of that. Yeah, I'll tell you guys why that is. Uh, believe me when I tell you the bank <clears throat> wants to lend you the money. We're in the business to lend money and we want to do it. However, we are our, our hands are tied when it comes to appraisers after the Great Recession. Um, well, you don't we, control that anymore. We know, that's we are, fine, I, I am not allowed to speak to the appraiser at all. It's actually illegal yeah. for me to speak to the appraiser. It goes right. through a third party. Yeah. And unfortunately, sometimes they do hire appraisers from out of state or you know out of the city, let's call it. I had one recently, just recently, last week, I think, from upstate New York. And I, was, I, I, didn't even, I couldn't even control myself. I, mean, I just tried my best. Fortunately, it all came out well. But when I heard where he came from, I was like, "Oh I mean, do you, my god!" I mean, do you guys go in there with comps and you share? Oh, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, pictures, so floor plans. But if you don't yeah. know the market, my thing is, you can come from anywhere outside of New York City. If you don't yeah. really know the marketplace, I'm kind. He says, "Oh no, no, no! I do, I do uh, occasional, you know, uh, jobs down here in, in Manhattan. That's I like occasional jobs." Okay, oh, yeah. so. I have Thanks. a question, not to to, but is there a perception, Roland, uh, or? I'm sure the listeners want to know for the, all the refinance people, I am in a battle, I'm refinancing, and I think that there is a, a trend of refinancing. The banks are taking such a conservative position on what the value is. I mean, I have an asset that's worth $5.4 million, and they're telling me it's three nine five, And I'm like, here's this, 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 this. Why are these not in the comps? How, how And I can't seem to get it thrown out. I'm going to have to leave the bank I'm doing a mortgage with or order And come another. to Citizens. There you <laughs> go. <laughs> uh, well, let me yeah, plug. Uh, yeah, I'll tell you this. Uh, most you all need to work on your online payment process. Oh, yeah. Just for the record. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> going down. I'm going to second uh, my suggestion. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you this. Uh, first of all, I will say that since 2008, very few of my deals come back with low appraisals. Okay, that I'm going to start off by saying that it happens. It happens. It's extremely rare. Uh, number two, it depends on the bank that you work with. But at Citizens, for example, we have an appraisal department that, if we review the appraisal and find that the appraiser uh, missed comps or didn't do the job that we think uh, is is right by you with the appraisal, a we'll go back to that appraiser and try to get him to look at the comps and and change his mind. If he doesn't do that. And I have had this before. We will actually throw that appraisal away and hire a new appraiser. No, are you uh, allowed to talk which is to the rare. appraisal after no. they've conducted no. it? So no, are they're, you, they're well, not. Are you communicating via the third party? Via the third party, Got we it. cannot yeah. speak directly to them. Correct. I mean, because what happened historically in pre-recession <clears throat> was that it was a good old boys club, and it was like you know, I give this guy 150, 300 yeah. appraisals, so give me some gonna, slack here, buddy. Yeah, and and hardly time. any ever came in gonna, under value. At least gonna, in my experience, I'm going to make, right? make another comment here. Is that the and again we're talking about the majority, right? So there's those outliers, of course. But I'm going to uh, I'm going to take a guess here. But I'm going to say on that five point four million dollar property that appraised at three point nine, you might not need the value to be at five point four to accomplish the refinance. Yes, but if I'm going to be doing an interest only in my building, they want a loan the LTV. to value. And and um and to me this is my business and I'm it's just annoying and they did the same thing it's the same bank and they did the same thing on my beach house mm-hmm. so you know 
I mean, I happen to be in the know. So what about all those other individuals who are not in the know? I think it's important to have a loan officer uh, that is um, arguing uh, on your behalf. Indeed. Uh, and it's important to have a loan officer that knows who to argue with. Um, because I've had situations where I'll get, you know, the real estate agent and the customer in those few instances where the appraisal comes in low that call me with all sorts of arguments and whatnot. The only thing that matters are the comps. So if you can show me comps that are legitimate comps, and, and here's a good comp, within a half a mile, um, within six months of a similar apartment. So one of the things I think that we find is that when you have a combination apartment, it's and you have to find a, a 10 or 11 room apartment that sets up like a four bedroom that's eight rooms, if you will. They're comping an eight room that has two or three maids rooms, which is very different. So anyway, it's All just right. cocktail trivia. All right, we have to leave it there. We're live from Blastoff Productions here in New York City. This is Good Morning New York. We will be back after these messages. Don't go away. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. American Heroes Network is a program for and about our American veteran heroes and their families. Join host Gary Ray as he shows what is being done to help our veterans and showcase the companies and organizations that are helping our veterans and their families rebuild their lives. Listen for American Heroes Network, live and powered by the Voice America Variety Channel, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. All right, buddy, we are back. I have one last financial question, Roland. So conventional wisdom holds that New York real estate is always a good investment, but if you uh, don't intend to live in it, you want to buy it as an investor and be a landlord. Is there anything that the buyer needs to know, the investor needs to know, when buying an apartment as an investment property? How does the loan differ? How does the dynamic change, et cetera? Sure, there's actually a huge difference between investment properties and a primary and second mortgages. So primary, a home and a second home, the rules are pretty much the same. The interest rates are pretty much the same. On an investment property, however, uh, generally, right, you have to put at least 35% down to get a jumbo mortgage. Uh, the interest rate is generally about a full percentage point higher uh, than a primary residence. And uh, most importantly, the uh, amount of qualifying 
uh, information that we need, we're going to be much stricter in qualifying that investment property purchase buyer than primary residents. And the reason is simple. If, uh, if stuff hits the fan, I don't know if we're allowed to curse here or not, uh, but if stuff hits the fan, the first property that you're going to stop payment on is your investment right. because you're going to want to keep that primary home with a roof over your head. Right. All right, moving on. Co-op boards certainly have reputations for micromanaging the lives of shareholders with uh, rules that can sometimes seem baffling and claustrophobic. For example, co-op boards can ban strollers in the lobby or hallways or dictate how residents should interact with their doormen and neighbors. While some rules may seem overbearing or even be legally questionable, others are rooted in logic and the law. Co-op residents are required to follow house rules or face stiff violations. So most people out there think that it's such a bad thing to live in a co-op because you're so restricted and you have so many rules and regulations and you can't move without, you know, saying, you know, whatever. For you guys with experience in selling, you know, buying and selling in co-ops, how difficult are co-ops really? What's the real rub here to living in a co-op? I mean, I'll say that I think that there has been a bit of a metamorphosis that's been underway in the last eight years. I'm in the process of consulting four buildings right now on, and I've talked about this in the past, about their alterations and their restrictions around, you know, technology is here today. So to have a beautiful landmark pre-war building and not problem solve central air conditioning or, um through the wall air conditioning or not allowing wet over dry or not allowing individuals. I mean, there's a building on Park Avenue that I've been working with that does not allow combinations because somebody on the board doesn't want anybody to have more voting rights than some other individual. So that's keeping people in a box instead of supporting them with fiduciary responsibility is to live and let live with guidelines. So I think that we're going to see that because the resale market and the wave of condominiums today are giving people a choice. I mean, that's what we first saw at 15 Central Park West where, you know, they don't have to turn in all their financial information. They can do out-of-the-box renovations with consideration of your neighbors. Yeah, I, I, I lived, I owned three co-ops in, in, in my day and I have to say, you know, and then condo, but I have to say, I, I didn't have, I didn't feel restricted in my co-op. I didn't feel like I had to obey or follow the rules other than the scrutiny of getting into one. And that can be mind boggling at times. But other than that, once you're in, I don't think anybody is out to, you know, make your life miserable. And I think, I still think there are buyers out there who think when they hear co-op or you mention co-op, for a whole host of reasons, they say, no, I I, this, I think I want to pass on that. I don't want to live in a co-op. It's too crazy for me. I, think, I don't want to deal with it. Do you think the main reason for that is is, is maybe the fact that uh, after you live in a co-op, and I agree with you, I, you know, I lived in a co-op. We just moved into a condo in Chelsea just recently, but I've lived in a co-op for nine years before that. And, and I think the main reason why I moved over to a condo is if I decide after I live there to rent it out, well, yeah. I can do that versus in most co-ops, I cannot. Co-ops are becoming more lenient with that too. I, I think, think it's so. one of those things like change so. before you have to. Like Jack Welch said, they're starting. Co-ops are the predominant product, right? So they're starting to realize you have to change and you have to adapt. Absolutely. I mean, we have the co-op market is about twenty-six percent of our market in relationship to thirteen percent of the condominium market, and uh, and then townhouses are make up about one percent, mm-hmm. and the rest of rentals. Excuse me, the, the rest rentals, of the city of rental, yeah. renters. I mean, it's 62% renters. Right. Right. Um, 
we we lose we we lose track of that sometimes because we run around in our business and condos and co-ops and mortgages or whatever. But it's sixty plus percent. Well, and that's of one of the things that I'll say to our listeners looking at New York real estate. It is one of the abilities for us to have a wealth preservation in our real estate, unlike L.A. or Nashville, Tennessee. I'm going to say where it's not a a city of renters because there's the opportunity. So all these wave of condominiums that are coming in and we can create an opportunity of moving to a 20, 20 to 25% availability of, of product is great because the, the uh, investor rate concentration is only 6% of those ownerships. So I think that thanks, thanks to co-ops. Yep. Yeah. All right, moving on. The debate over whether or not to live in a building with a doorman is one for the ages. We all have our preferences, and ultimately there are pros and cons to each. Let's talk a little bit about the upsides and the downsides of living in a New York City doorman building. So, for example, one of the pros is, you know, you feel like you're living with in, in, in luxury, living luxury service because you have a doorman greeting you, saying hello to you in the morning, saying hello to you in the evening. Coordinating your package deliveries, etc. You know, uh, what 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 are some of the pros of living in a in, in a uh, doorman building, and why? Um, before we go into that, I just want to mention that with all the conversions that are happening, something that has evolved in more boutique buildings is the opportunity to have a non-union doorman. Oh, okay, yeah. Which would be called a lobby attendant, mm-hmm. because the unions want different verbiage for that for clarity and not misrepresenting. But I think that that is something that has... Um, Learning something new every day. Yeah, but A few of us are shaking our heads. It's great. Yeah, so, oh, so I think... I'm just thinking what if they could really name the other guy, what they would name him, like, you know, the dumpster diver or something. <laughs> I don't know, but I know that <laughs> in the lobby I've, converted thing, right? a, I've built or converted about 30 buildings, and many of my buildings are non-union. And one of the great things about that is that if they don't have the right attitude and they don't have a can-do attitude... You can replace them tomorrow, yeah. unlike the unions. Absolutely. And the cost differential is massive. What is it like? Is like for like a full time attendant desk is like two fifty, right? A year? Like two hundred fifty thousand? For no. a person? Uh, no. no, just for the whole debt, like the oh, whole fully attendant. Twenty four hours a day, yeah. Twenty four uh, hour union, healthcare benefits. Yeah, the, and that goes up every three years and it's um Gens, I don't I, I should know that information. It's, it's a moving target. So I, I just moved into a non-doorman building uh-huh. uh, after living in a doorman building for a while. And uh, I miss two things. I miss, A, speaking to Zach in the morning on the way to work. Uh, Zach was my doorman and my favorite one. Aww. Uh, yeah, aww. See, uh, I'm a number, talker, but I don't want to talk in the morning. Yeah, and number and number two, bringing my own packages into the elevator. Those are the two main differences. And I'll be honest with you, uh, what you, I, you get so much more for your money. In, uh, in a building that is not attended and maybe no services in the building uh, that we have found it to be worthwhile, in my opinion. I mean, but last night I pulled up to my building um, and I had a lot of bags in my car and I just, uh, you, know, you know, got the trolley from inside the building. A guy came out and got the trolley and convenient. left it next to the elevator. I mean, stuff like that. It's convenient. Um, it just kind of uh, lowers your stress level. However... For those individuals that have three kids and they have a budget that is restrictive, it is a great solution today um, for individuals to be open to it because it's not like, you know, there's breaking and entering that's happening on every block. I mean, right. we have a, a very safe you city. Be open well, that's to, to having a doorman? 
not, not have a doorman. Especially with the three because, kids. There's the now, trolley. Now yeah. there's virtual the kids doorman. are the trolley. Now Thank you. I was going to bring that up. So <laughs> some people are opting for the virtual doorman scenario. Yep. But, you know, that's not a physical being. That's really just an intercom system, you know, of somebody that saying. That solves the problem of access. It and solves that, the uh, problem of access. And but that's also about monitoring it. for safety. So right. this. Go ahead. So, uh, a new building, Prospect Leverage Gardens, 293 Hawthorne Street. We have uh, virtual doormans called Butterfly MX. It's the cutting-edge technology. There's se- they have several competitors. but So, Butterfly MX, you walk up to the building. There's a, there's like a key pad. It's like a pad, like a LCD screen at the right at the front door. And if you are UPS or some sort of delivery service, you can just click on uh, you, you basically have a code if you're if you have a relationship with one apartment that you've been you know that you've been uh, delivering packages to you can basically just connect with that apartment um, specifically and that goes right to the apartment renter's cell phone so they That's can be I rung have. up either if they're in the apartment or if they're you know somewhere else um, and they also get a code so that if they if you develop a relationship with them they can go and bring the package to the package room waiting for you when you get back. So, it's and also, the Uber of delivery. The Uber of delivery. Also, the mailboxes we have there, um, there are two specific package mailboxes, and only the apartment renters have the keys to those mailboxes. So, if you're worried about your package being taken, um, the chances get even smaller and smaller with a setup like that. So we have we have a virtual uh, doorman, I guess, intercom system that comes to my phone, uh, and I live in a loft building, so the elevator you got you know ha- needs a key as well. I can let someone into the building up the elevator and into my apartment from my phone, which is pretty incredible. So if you have a delivery for uh, dry cleaners or whatnot, uh, they can come in and leave it in my closet and leave. In your apartment? Yeah. Okay. Some of the cons, (laughs) some of the cons of having a doorman are privacy. There are a lot of private people. And, you know, when you live in a doorman building, the doorman knows, the doormen, all of them know everything there is to know about you, who comes and visits you, who doesn't come and visit you, how often they come and visit you. Who slept over? Yeah, that's the other thing. That's the other that's thing. Another thing. So there are people who don't care about that. There are people who don't mind that. I'm in this city, you know, almost thirty years. I've always had a doorman. I'm sort of over the doorman scenario. Right. Uh, if I ever made a move, I would probably do something like Roland just said. But you know that that's an issue for some people, not for everybody. Gossip. Doormen are gossipy. They should they they probably all go home and write in their diaries. So one day when they retire, they're going to write books about all of us who have come and gone in their buildings for years and years and years. And the last thing is the cost of having a doorman, as Louise said earlier. You know, uh, it adds to the overall budget of a building significantly. Payroll yeah. payroll is typically in your Schedule B for an operating budget is sixty to sixty five percent. So. It's a fixed cost. So. It's a fixed cost. Yeah, and then the holiday and, season and tips are yeah. rough. Yeah. yeah, I mean, when I was looking at, I bought my apartment. I did not want a doorman. I'm in and out like all the time. I just don't people don't need people knowing my business. I didn't. Well, that, that's where I've gotten after all of these years. Again, being in a doorman building for many years, it's kind of like you know, I, you know, I don't necessarily always want to say good morning or have a conversation. I always say good morning. I'm not rude, but you know, sometimes they'll stop and want to chat with you. It's like you know, it's I, I got to get to work. Go. I got to go. You know, whatever. You're or you're coming home. I am. Tell the beauty of the, the Upper East Side where I'm at. 30 years in New York will do The beauty of the Upper East Side, make years. a relationship with the doorman in the other building because across the street from me, they have a whole full-time staff. Yep. Leave stuff there or tell people to drop stuff off. And I just give the doorman like five, ten bucks. And people it's do so that. Worth it. People do that all the time. I, I love having a doorman. I didn't have one forever. And I, when I got one a couple years ago, I was like, I'd, 
I, I don't know. It'll last, it, it's it. going to last for a while. You'll love it for a long time. I always time. strike up like it's like relationship with them. And I don't know. Well, my, my, on my one guy too. in the evening is very busy body and he's always in your business. <laughs> and it's kind of like, you know, I, I think what I take away from this is that, you know, either having one or not having one, I don't think is enough of a reason to either buy or not buy in a building because oh, absolutely. either way works. I think it's part of the it's educational the process and what's right for an individual. And, you know, it's it just goes into that line item of your spreadsheet of trade-offs and pluses and how do you prioritize. Yes. Right, we got to leave it there. Go to break. We're coming back right after these messages. Don't go away. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their products. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees. Aliens with Gas, we are the Extraterrestrial Rock Show, airing every Saturday afternoon on the VoiceAmerica.com Variety Channel. <laughs> Whatever happens out and about, it kind of dictates our conversation. For sure. And we like to tie in a little bit of the past and obviously keep it real current. And real current was a couple nights ago right here in Phoenix, a phenomenon happened. On Thursday night. Phenomenon. Do, 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 do. <laughs> phenomenon. Do, 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 do. Phenomenon. Do, do. All right, never mind. <laughs> That's every Saturday right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back with Louise, Raymond, Noah, Sean, and Niall. So we're going to talk about buying uh, apartments. You're out there working with a buyer's agent. So most people buy and sell home just a few times during their life, a lifetime. So even if you consider yourself a good negotiator, chances are that you're a bit rusty when it comes to buying or selling a co-op or a condo. So with the full market ahead of us, <clears throat> excuse me, here are a few tips. So we've all, <clears throat> we've all encountered this. Don't talk too much in front of the seller's broker. Why? Well, I think that's uh, it's a really good one because a lot mm. of times, if you have a buyer who's super excited about it, you're just they're gonna you know tip their hand immediately, mm-hmm. looking right at them like I love the apartment. Oh my god, you know that gives you, know, you <laughs> and we've that. all and we've all we've seen had that. And you yeah. kind of grab me like, whoa, we talked about this, yeah. you know. And a good buyer's broker will tell you at the beginning, you know, look, if you like something, just keep your cool, make sure put that your you're, sunglasses yeah, on yeah, and Anna Wintour it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> But it happens, and you have to just you know be uh, be aware of that, and be aware of every situation that you're in as as an agent, and protect your your buyer because you know if you're a seller's agent on the other side, 
you know, and you get an offer, you know, you know how to how to play it because you saw the exact feeling and sentiment that the buyers had. But yeah, it's, I, it's like when you're like a little kid and you're playing cards against your older sibling and they're like leaning back over the table and looking at your cards. You're like, I can't win. And like, what the hell's going on? Like, that's what it's like when you have. You got to put your poker face on. I, I, I'm, I take a little bit of a different. Listen, uh, I believe that that transparency managed properly. And again, it depends on who's on the other side. Because they are those brokers that we all walk in and they're like, I got seven offers and everybody loves it. And I, I mean, you better come now. It's going to be, you know, and you're like, okay, you said that the last 11 apartments I showed with you. But if you have somebody like one of us on the other side, transparency in that relationship that we have, you can still represent your client and have, you know, an emotional hook with and for the broker and owner. So that's my take. For sure. But I mean, Luis, like, you know, probably better than anybody here that uh, you can you can affect a deal, you know, tremendously by knowing other people's, you know, uh, motivations for buying, let's say. Right. But I believe it's my responsibility as a buyer's broker to know what's important to that seller. And I can't get that if I don't if I like play poker. I mean, I've done deal. I've never done a deal actually with an individual who plays so much games with with me when I'm just like, look, where can we get a deal done? What do you, you know, it's just, I think I, it's I, extra I wouldn't call energy. poker. I would call like just listening, like just listening and I, asking the right I questions. I appreciate that, but I don't think that's where that individual What about don't make a low ball offer that isn't or can't be defended? I mean, a lot of people out there, and so we're, we're going on the guys that, you know, the, the, these, this person is kind of rusty to the process. He hasn't, he or she hasn't been in the, in the, in the game for a while. Everybody today wants a deal. Everybody wants a lowball uh, deal. So, what what is the the, the backstory to lowballing an offer? I think I think a lot of the lowball offers I receive, or you know, I'm asked to submit, are usually from people from outside the market. So they're used to Florida from the last five years. They might be coming from the Middle East. They might be coming from China or India or some. They're used to seeing an asking price and negotiating. Um, you know, very hard on that think, ask. I mean, whenever, I mean, I, I when I take on a listing, I typically do a very rigorous analysis of not what is, what, what people are comparing your apart, your home to, but what what is in contract and what is it in contract for? Because I have the ability to have relationships with those other brokers. Whereas when a, when a broker who is not as educated or in you know, seasoned, I'm able to utilize those, that detail and those informations to help bring a deal to, to fruition. Sometimes it's just not being informed. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, that's usually what it is. Well, one thing I was going to say about lowball offers, um, a lot of times a lowball offer actually works when an apartment or a townhouse or what have you has been sitting in the market for quite a while. And funny enough, I think it's usually when the seller is not willing to take the first few offers that come in. And then I would sits, agree with that. And it sits yeah. and it sits. And you know, at some point, you're just Fire like, look, broker, you can't make up broker. the market. Can't Usually make, third broker well, is when you get the real good deal. Right. Yeah. So if a seller can't, you know, if they can't make up their mind and, they, and they, they're really, you know, they think that they can get more than they ask, which is true many times, but sometimes it's not. And so if something is priced right at the market and they're getting asked or they're getting 10% less than ask, then then it just sits and sits and sits. And then other offers come in even worse than that. And then, you know, recently... Then you start chasing the market. And you start chasing the market and you never want to be, you know, two, three months in on a listing and just, just you know, hoping that some offer is going to go from, you know, to accepted to contract. I mean, it's just... I think this can be part of a different conversation, but I would say, you know, 
especially for our generation uh, that are under like 35, we're always used to like a Groupon mentality. We're always used to not paying full price, right? Like Amazon. And I really think it's transcended into the real estate market a bit because a lot of people I deal with that are younger. And we've talked about this on the show before that everyone calls and says, Hey, I want a deal. And I always tell them to take a number, you know, everyone wants a deal, but it's never going to happen. You need to make a deal. But I'll tell people transactions right now. Audi is between five to 7% of the asking price. Almost spot on. Three to five in Montauk. You can tell them that to your blue in the that's face and they'll good. still submit a bit that's 11% off. And I'm like, no. <laughs> so, so I, but I also think that's where where the the broker who is has the listing is creating a strategy with their owner. I mean, we talked earlier on an, of the other show where I was talking about in May and June, for, for 32 days, I put 16 transactions together because we did uncomfortable pricing so that the efficiency of the market would settle itself. So I think there are niches of the market you can do that in, not in the Uber luxury. What about don't put your best offer in first? I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that either. either. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I'm asking the question. Are officially, uh, no. Don't no. present your best offer first. So well, what's the commentary? So actually, I, I don't you know, I was going to, I told a buyer recently, um, I, had, I had mentioned to them, you know, are you, are you an investor or are you looking for a home? Because there's a difference. If you're an investor and you're, you know, if you're an investor, then you can look at five homes and you can say, look, I'm, I want to get, I want to place this offer. I want to make this return. And I'm not, this is not an emotional, you know, it's not an emotional choice for me. But if you're looking for your next home, it's something different. You put your best foot forward because if you're looking to play that, you know, that cat and mouse game, you're going to end up in a situation where it's actually emotionally taxing on you. And is that what is that the game you want to play if you're looking for your next home? Can I can I add something to this? And, yeah. and I think a, a lot of people don't pay attention to this enough. Um, you can pay full for, full price for a home and still get a a deal uh, when you tie it in with your finance. Uh, and how can we save money on that purchase through? Uh, smart financial transactions. I'm going to throw one thing out there that isn't so popular. I do it with my buyers all the time, but something called a purchase SEMA, right? And so you can save 2% of the purchase price uh, just by doing this fancy financial wizardry if you have the right lawyers and the right uh, brokers with you that can advise on that. And some banks don't want to do that. All right, we have a few minutes left. I just want to say the last holiday weekend and the summer are over, so it's back to work for most New Yorkers. That means landlords, brokers, and people are trying to sell their apartment or buy an apartment. Where is the market today? Post-summer season into the fall, unlike last fall, we were going into a presidential election and everything was chaotic. Where are we today? There was a pause button last year, and I do feel that there is a little more optimism for the Mm -hmm. higher end. I think we we are experiencing a resetting of the market. Absolutely agree. And I think that, I still think absorption is going to be an elongated sales cycle for the rest of the year, but two and a half million and down, I think is going to be on fire because people are interest rate sensitive and more will be revealed it's been it's yeah it's been very active i mean i was uh there's a bidding war in park slope i was at the other day i mean you know multiple offers on apartments i showed over the Nikuanas. i have a piece of property that's on the market at premium point i don't know if anybody knows where premium point is but it is a uh 1890s stanford white house oh, that is twenty three thousand wow. square feet and it is not on the market it's for sale but I have three people who want to buy it. And we're the house is 23,000 square feet? Wow. 
guys, I did I did more pre-approvals this past August I, I, uh, yeah. than I've ever done in my August life. August was wacky. It was very busy. I think, it's, just, I I think that, it's pent up buyer demand. I think a yeah. lot of people were just, you know, like the election waiting. last year. I think they were frustrated out. sitting yeah. on the sidelines I waiting for a reset. My clients liquidated their assets in January on a huge surge in the stock market and have been waiting for the right deals. And the cat the number of cash transactions or deals that are not contingent on financing is up within my own team and we average seven to ten deals a month and um so i think it's i think we we're in a good a good spot i'd say a lot right. of the market is right now it's very busy like we don't have just you all great slow. viewings weird, we have weird rental buyers. market yeah yeah rental market now but the august is usually pretty quiet Last week's August were crazy, crazy busy. All right, guys, I'm sorry, but we are out of time. Uh, That is our show for today. Thanks to all of my guests and panel. Until next time, be kind to one another for all of us at Voice America all around the world. Thanks for joining us, and I will see you next time. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones.